You're listening to the ILC Radio Network, brought to you by the Iowa Lean Consortium and Zone Strategies. Here's your host, Stephen Wilson. Good afternoon. I'm Steve Wilson, and with us today is Matt Garcia. Matt is the Chief Business Development and Process Improvement Officer for Western Home Communities, and they're in Cedar Falls, Iowa. And um, so Matt is going to be talking about his role there. But then, Matt, uh, I believe also you are on the board of the ILC. Is that correct? That is correct, Steve, yes. And what's your role on the board? On the board, um, there are eight seats on the board, Thank I you believe, for listening, and we hope you enjoy our show. For more uh, information, please check us out online at iowalean.org and zstrat.com. To government, to manufacturing, so I um, represent one of the healthcare sector board seats. Well, excellent. Uh, well, again, thank you for uh, for being on. It's uh, we've been trying to get uh, uh, get together on this, so I appreciate you you setting some time aside today. Uh, My pleasure. As, as, as I get into the conversation, you really want to focus, I guess, starting out focusing on on your own personal lean journey, and uh, and then also then let's connect it to that of Western Home. So uh, before. Sure. We get into that. Give us a little background. Uh, let the folks know who uh, who Matt Garcia is, besides the title. Sure, no problem. Um, I'll start with a teeny bit about uh, Western Home. Uh, just um, we're a retirement community, and uh, we work in nine different cities or communities across mostly northeast Iowa, but based in Cedar Falls, and we have a connection to probably about. Um, 1,750 or so uh, residents across all those different cities, about 1,000 here in Cedar Falls, and probably 1,200 staff or so. And I work with all of our communities outside Cedar Falls and then do um, process improvement for all of our network is my current role. And, um, you know, my, my own personal lean journey probably I would have to say it started at the very beginning, and I'll tell a little story about that. Back in the beginning of my career, 1995, um, I was uh, a student at the University of Northern Iowa here in Cedar Falls and had to do a volunteer project. I lived just a few blocks from a nursing home, uh, just uh, coincidentally now where I now work. And I went to the volunteer office, signed up, and they uh, said, you know, I, I didn't really have any particular thing I wanted to do, just, um, you know, what do they need help with? And I said, oh, um, we need somebody to do some one-on-one -on -one visits with our residents. So I picked from a list of residents. They said, just pick a name. I looked down the list, and the name that st stood out was Lester Giggle, G-I-G-L. <laughs> yeah, and, and I thought, hey, I, I bet this guy. I wonder why it stood out. Yeah, I, I thought about this guy's interesting, and I said, yes. Uh, so I went, it was a cold January day, I went to meet Lester. He was sitting in the doorway to his room in a gray three-piece suit and a wheelchair, and he had uh, white high-top Reebok pump basketball shoes. Uh -huh. uh, cute, a uh, little elderly old man, and I introduced myself, and, and uh, he said, come on in. <clears throat> so I went into his room. And I said, can I take my jacket off? Because it was like 90 degrees in, in his room. Yeah. I had a big ski jacket on. And he said, you can take your pants off if you want. And I said, nope, that's not going to happen. But I knew it was going to be fun. 
And uh, after about 20 minutes of just sitting there and kind of getting to know each other, uh, Lester said to me, Matt, I hope you come back and see me again someday because family and friends can be much better than medicine. And yeah. so that really struck me um, and made me, I think I was a junior at the time, or I had a, a year left, two semesters left, um, and uh, I, I thought, gosh, I should explore this further because I have no idea what I did. But to sort of connect it to lean and process improvement and you know, healthcare or senior services, what it really set the foundation for um, what Lester helped me understand was the respect for people piece that is such a huge part of uh, lean and process improvement. When you build trusting relationships with people, get to know them, understand what really frustrates them, uh, that is when you can make some progress. So that was that first connection with Lester. It's an easy story to tell in healthcare. It's the first time I've ever told that story connected to kind of my personal lean journey. But as I was mm -hmm. reflecting, uh, preparing for this interview today, I thought, you know, that is, that really is where it started because of the, the respect for people piece that comes with just sitting down and talking with somebody about life, about what they're working on, what they're struggling with, what they're happy about. So that felt like the per perfect place um, to start. Uh, with with my personal lean journey. Oh yeah, uh, and and I can a, a, attest to that. I also uh, serve as a, a part-time chaplain with an organization, and uh, which sure. I'm I currently have the opportunity to uh, work in uh, a nursing home. So it's it's a great opportunity. That yeah, oftentimes it's just simply a matter of of conversation, sitting down and talking and and showing that respect and giving that respect uh, to those residents that uh, I think, that, yeah, that, that line, family and friends, can be much better than medicine. I think that uh, that so rings true. And uh, I think, as you mentioned, is really at the heart of, should be at the heart of uh, lean in the sense that relationships are far more and the respect shown are far more important than the actual tools that um, that we oftentimes focus and utilize. Would you, you concur, concur with that? Oh, absolutely, Steve. No, no doubt about it. I think that's a huge part of being successful in lean, not, not necessarily me, but just in general, is starting with that foundation of respect for people. So I, after, I actually ended up getting a job here at the Western Home in 1995 and worked as a, uh, did a student internship, got some college credit for that, and then uh, moved to Des Moines and uh, worked for a Catholic healthcare system for over 18 years. Mm. Um, very first job I had there was as a certified nursing assistant. And um, I, I learned pretty quick who does the real work in healthcare. Uh, <laughs> Not the administrators; <laughs> it's the it's the nurses and CNAs, and and um, I learned a lot about myself and who I wanted to be, and did, you know, did I have the the character and the guts to take care of people at the most vulnerable times of their life? And and I made a few mistakes during figuring that out, but it, it uh, was one of the best things I ever did. And during that time, I, I, um, a couple years later, I became a nursing home administrator and worked in a nursing home healthcare operations for 12 years. Um, and during, I also became a green belt um, 
probably the, the last two years of that um, first 12, so this would have been um, around 2006 or so. Uh-huh. And um, really, all of a sudden realized, hey, I had a passion for, not just for healthcare and senior services, but I think I had a, a, a passion for process improvement as well. So then I uh, moved to the hospital where I became a black belt through the American Society for Quality and then um, started working with that team, eventually became the director and, and worked in that. Um, it was the Six Sigma department mm -hmm. uh, and was there for six years. We changed our name probably about 18 months in to be the Performance Excellence Department because people were kind of turned off by the Six Sigma Sure. Uh, nomen nomenclature. Mm -hmm. And uh, as an example, um, not necessarily connected to the name, but just early on in my career there, the very first project I did was a redo of another project that someone else had done. And so it was pretty a pretty clear indication of my very first project work. It was um, kind of a, a accounts receivable uh, you know, a days in AR project, shortening the days in AR so we get paid a little bit faster. Uh -huh. I realized that how big of a deal sustainability was because the, the project wasn't that difficult because I basically repeated all the stuff that the previous black belt had done and then uh -huh. had quite a, quite a conversation about, okay, what, how we can hardwire this into our, um, you know, our regular everyday work. Um, rather than, you know, the, the second I disappear, then they go back to their old ways of doing things. Sure, yep. And so that, you know, that really wasn't anybody's fault. It was just, um, it was kind of a, what, what we realized maybe about 18 months into my career in, in the uh, Lean Six Sigma world was we have to um, do things, uh, rather than doing projects kind of to people, we do projects with them that they want to work on so that they get the ownership and the buy-in and, and uh, you know, have all that kind of stuff connected to it. Right. Um, so that was, you know, that was uh, kind of a long answer to my the beginning of my lean journey. And then now back uh, real quick to back here to the Western Home. Um, I worked for the hospital system for 18 years. The nursing home was part of the hospital system, and then the Western Home uh, made me an offer I couldn't refuse where I got to marry both of my passions together. So uh, Lean Six Sigma Process Improvement coupled with uh, senior service healthcare operations. Um, hospital has been working on um, process improvement for a decade or longer. I think it's more and more prevalent throughout uh, healthcare systems in America. Uh, nursing home, uh, senior service industry, a lot more, uh, you, know, you know, a decade, at least a decade behind that. Um, there are starting to be some teams working in um, senior service systems. So some of the larger, um, you know, communities that have more resources are starting to have small teams of PI folks working on um, projects. So now. Go ahead. Um, as, as, as you're talking about this, I'm thinking, uh, and you said that uh, there's what, approximately 1,700 individuals that are being served? Yeah, through uh, Western Home Communities, yes. Through Western Home Communities. 
how, how are they being impacted? Of course, you know, as we think about lean continuous improvement, whether it be Six Sigma or lean, something else, uh, ultimately the goal, the objective needs to be the, uh, that we're having a positive impact upon the community in which we are serving. So how are they being impacted by the work that's being done? All right. Um, I get accused by my boss frequently of going too far into the weeds with too much detail, but I'm, I'm going to give you one of those <laughs> examples. Um, hey, go for it. <laughs> yeah, so <clears throat> we're working on lots of different things here. But, for example, uh, we have a um, – we're all hospitals and nursing homes are uh, publicly measured on a lot of quality indicators. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of those, for example, for nursing homes is how often we give our residents uh, antipsychotic medications. And for, um, I'm a lay person when it comes to clinical stuff, but for, for others out there like me, basically what that means is if people are having, if they're agitated, combative, aggressive, um, we should be trying other things uh, other than medication. We should be uh, trying at least three different interventions um, uh, finding an activity to do with them, going for a walk, making sure they're not hungry, making sure they're not in pain. There's at least a, a dozen or more things we can try, but we have to try at least three before going to this medication. Mm-hmm. And then we have, um, so we know what our score is. We are about 35% of our residents were getting antipsychotic medications, and the industry benchmark was uh, 18%. We were almost double the benchmark. Yeah. So um, we have, in this particular part of our continuum, we have 132 residents. We have six different neighborhoods, and we have a nurse in charge of each neighborhood. And so um, we would meet once a week for an hour, and we got every... We got those nurse leaders together and said, bring every resident that is on that antipsychotic medication, and we're going to talk about a plan to get them off that medication. Uh-huh. Who are the people, uh, why do they need it? Are we, uh, we need to do training with the teams on how, what the other interventions should be. We might have to do some peer-to-peer education or training with physicians. We have used our medical director to talk to other physicians about why residents shouldn't be on these types of medications. The main reason is that they tend to lead to um, people falling. Uh-huh. So, Falls is another huge thing that is we are measured on, and it's, uh, studies have proven that if you're on these medications, you're falling. Um, so anyway, after it probably took us a good four or five months, but we went from 35% down to 15% uh, because we just sat down, took the time to develop individualized, customized plans for every one of our uh, residents on um, those medications. Now. Really, it, it's not. Uh, I wouldn't say we used a whole bunch of lean tools to go through that process, but it, for sure it was a almost like a, a mini kaizen or a mini workout that you know the uh-huh. GE workout philosophy that we went through um, in terms of building a who's doing what by when kaizen newspaper, whatever you want to call it. Um, and regularly meeting, holding people accountable. These are the, you know, why are we doing this? Why is it important? Who are the stakeholders? How do we communicate? All of those things together. Um, and we also saw a corresponding drop in our fall rate as well, just like we thought 
we would. So that's one small uh, lengthy example of uh, how our residents are being impacted by with process improvement work. Well, and that takes, a, a, again, a, a personal flair to me because my, uh, my mother happens to be in a, in a facility in, uh, in Marion down by where I live and uh, dealing with, with some of those very, very things with regards to the, uh, the medications that are being provided and uh, it, uh, it definitely has an impact. So it's encouraging to hear that there are facilities like uh, organizations like Western Home that uh, is looking into that to, to understand and recognizing the impact that uh, it has ultimately on the on the residents. Yep. And, uh, so, kudos uh, kudos to you guys looking uh, into that. And would you say then that that trends are such that organizations, institutions like Western Home that that uh, is beginning to get more into the continuous improvement process improvement. Yes. Yes, for sure. I um, at the, the the local sort of uh, nursing home trade associations, I think you might call them. Um, I speak just about every year for uh, Leading Age Iowa, and also have for Iowa the Iowa Healthcare Association, and talk through process improvement in healthcare with lots of people. And I've, I've been to uh, over two dozen communities in the last uh, two or three years talking about process improvement in healthcare. So there, the appetite for it is definitely out there. Um, one of the main things that I go out and work with people on is um, huddles, healthcare process improvement huddles. Okay. Uh, in David Mann's book, Creating a Lean Culture, he would call it a, the uh, daily accountability process. Mm -hmm. um, and so, for example, at uh, a frequent... Uh, you know, there, there's, it's a nine-step process. Um, I learned this back at the hospital system I worked for, and um, we talk. We start with reflection, talk about safety, um, process changes, uh, resident safety or patient safety alerts, um, general communication or cascading messages, um, and then uh, wins and celebrations is what we finish with. Uh, but I the one of the, the uh, main parts of the huddle is on metrics. There's usually one to three metrics, um, measurements or things that we're tracking. And um, back, connecting back to that same story about the antipsychotic medications, we put that metric on the wall on the huddle board um, in front of the teams and said, here's how many of these we gave yesterday and let's have a discussion about how we can reduce that and what strategies should we use to uh, try other interventions before we go right to, this, to the medication. So that is how we took you know, those hour, weekly, hour-long meetings and then connected it to the CNAs and the work teams right on the floor right next to our residents. And the huddle process is a way to do that. <clears throat> So, Ed, uh, how long then have you been, uh, with regards to Western Homes, uh, putting forth these, these efforts, these continuous improvement efforts? Um, I've been here a little over three and a half years, and we started huddles three years ago. And so okay. that, that particular, and so there, you know, there's been way more than just antipsychotic medications on there. We track, most of our huddles track falls also. Mm -hmm. um, 
another frequent one that we track this sounds a bit remedial but we um, we track attendance and this uh, we put every employee's name that works in that neighborhood and put their name on the wall. We only do it in ones where there's an issue with attendance, people showing up for work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then we lit, we put on there the day that they didn't show up for work. So we don't put the reason. We, and everybody knows the schedule. Every, excuse me, everybody knows who did not show up. So we're just putting that on a table or a chart on the wall. And the people that don't like that are the ones that call in sick all the time. Yeah, because all you're doing once again there is is, is making making the issue visual uh, visible, right? Yes. Yep. And so we we call that um, harnessing the power of social peer pressure. <laughs> but, uh, I don't want to I don't want to look bad in front of my peers, and so I want to make sure that I can explain myself um, that I tried three interventions before I gave that antipsychotic medication, or that I'm showing up for work. And it also holds the manager accountable to make sure people go through our progressive discipline process if they're missing too much work. Right. We also tell, may also make it clear what are good reasons to miss work. Um, this is an old figure, but from about 15 years ago, the Bureau of uh, Labor Statistics had a number out there somewhere that said it was around 3% was sort of an acceptable number for absenteeism, where, where mm -hmm. you actually don't want people to come to work. But we've been seven, eight, nine percent in some of our departments, and so um, we can't have that. We need people here taking care of our our uh, customer, taking care of our residents. So, so how's the, how how's that working out for you? <laughs> um, it uh, for the most part pretty good. And um, we also do huddles, and I've been talking uh, primarily about nursing homes. We have huddles in our assisted living buildings as well. Mm -hmm. And assisted living, if you, you know, I think most people know what a nursing home is. Assisted living is kind of that uh, place in the continuum of care where you, it's uh, in between being at home and a nursing home is assisted living where you have limited nursing and nurse aides there helping you with some things. It uh, just helps keep people out of the nursing home longer. Mm -hmm. Anyway, mm -hmm. there's less, less staff, kind of less clinical things going on, more socialization, medication management, and nutrition. So in assisted living, um, uh, just this past January, several months ago, uh, we had um, in January and February had an 7.8% absenteeism rate, and we got that to 2.3% just by posting um, the attendance and um, the manager holding people accountable. You know, interestingly, um, that manager told me, she said that her teams told her another thing that happened was, you know, hey, you know, Steve, you and I were uh, supposed to work together last weekend, but you called in sick. And I know what you were doing on Saturday night, and you should have come to work on Sunday because you weren't mm -hmm. being responsible. So mm -hmm. now you and I are working again together this weekend. I'm going to call in sick on you because I'm getting back at you. And so that kind of nonsense stopped. Yeah. Where these um, kind of these little games that, that people play to get back at each other. Um, when they understood we were going to hold them accountable and how important it was and what good reasons were. You know, we set clear expectations. Um, 
we got people to show up for work. Sure. So again, and, I know that. It's, um, you know, again, not putting the reasons up there because the issue is not you're off because of this, you're off because of this. It's just we need people here. Yep. And it doesn't, you know, that obviously it will come out, you know, if there's valid and invalid uh, reasons, but the, the initial issue is just simply we need people here, and this is a tool, again, to make that visible. And then, as you said, it, it then begins to hold the managers uh, accountable. Did, do you find, and I'm not speaking specifically uh, about um, uh, Western Home, but do you, have you seen, uh, when, when you are holding individuals accountable, uh, oftentimes do managers push back just as, uh, as frequently? Um, at first, they did. When, they, um, when we started rolling out this, um, the process improvement huddle, the managers, I had one in particular that really said, gosh, this is just too much work. I, and this is more work for me to do, and I can't have my nurses. And it, it's a 15 minutes or less. Most of these huddles last five to seven minutes. Mm -hmm. She said, I can't have my nurses and CNAs off the floor, uh, you know, away from their real work for 15 minutes a day or two or three times a day. I can't do that. And so, I, um, you know, back to the building trusting relationships and respect for people, I said, look, you know, just give it a try. I'll be there with you. Um, <clears throat> and if it doesn't work, if, if, we're, if you don't feel like it's making some progress on um, improving the, kind of the daily work life of your team, and then and having an impact on our residents, then we will change it, we'll stop it, we'll do something else. And so she gave it a try, you know, begrudgingly, um, and I knew I needed to be that, at that one a little more often to make sure that the, the messaging was correct, you know, do some coaching and mentoring. And um, just a few months later, I was giving a presentation at a conference, and she stood up in the back of the room and told the story of, at first I thought this was more work to do, and now this is how I get my work done, is by going through this process. So yeah, that because as we all know, the, the amount of time that is uh, non-value-added time throughout that day, there's certainly 15 minutes of value-added time that they could replace that with. Absolutely. <clears throat> you know, this, and it goes back to, I sort of didn't realize it at the time, but um, I, I heard Mark Graben speak um, at the Iowa Lean Consortium uh, Lean Healthcare Exchange just a, a couple months ago. And he kept saying over and over again, start from need, start from need, start from need. And that really resonated with, because that's what worked with this particular manager was, you know, give me two things. What I, what I frequently say to people that are pushing back, tell me two things that are frustrating you at work. One, that you go home and complain about to your family, and then I want to hear something else that the customer complains about to you all the time. And let's write those two things down, we'll put them on our huddle board, and then we'll figure out how to fix them. And so that um, really is what Mark was talking about when he was talking about start from need. I just wasn't really making the connection and it's not the main difference there is it's not the need of 
the administrator or the CEO or the black belt. Start from the need of one, the voice of the customer, and two, the voice of your team, of your of the frontline staff. What do they need? What is driving them crazy? And I think that that helped quite a bit in in kind of getting over this. I see this as more work to do, trans uh, transforming into here's how I get my work done. Yeah. Well, because how often do we talk about when we're you know putting together solutions for customers and and uh, whether it's a sales process or something, we'll say, you know, you have to identify what the pain is. You have to identify uh, what the need is. So certainly this makes sense that it translates then into uh, continuous improvement and working with our employees as well and identifying with them what's, what's their need, what's their pain, uh, what uh, interferes with them at the end of the day being able to say, I had a good day. You got it. You got it. When you're when you're uh, looking for uh, some of the individuals now, uh, you know it. Uh, we certainly in the state of Iowa have a have an aging uh, population and uh, probably beginning to see an increase. Uh, life ex life life expectancy is longer, and we're beginning to see an increase. As you begin to fill additional slots within the organization. What types of things are you looking for? What characteristics should organizations be looking for, uh, keeping uh, keeping lean in mind? Great question. Um, you know, I was uh, interviewing an administrator for a, a rural nursing home a few months ago, and she asked me kind of the same question, not necessarily from a lean. Uh, process improvement perspective, but from an, you know, just a kind of general employee administrator perspective. So she said, what are you, Matt, what are you looking for? And my knee-jerk response to that was um, somebody that's honest, hardworking, and a bias towards action. So those, those first two things are pretty cliche, honest and hardworking. But the third one, I think, um, as I've reflected on how I answered her question during her interview, um, why did I say that? And what I, what I was thinking or what I've pondered about since then is two things. One, I, don't, I can't have people waiting around for someone else to, to kind of you know, prod them and tell them what to do. And then the other part of that is really made me think about PDSA or PDCA, Mm -hmm. uh, that bias towards action, I, I need somebody out there trying different things, testing things out and making adjustments and moving on and, and learning from that. And so that, I think that bias towards action is really the key piece there. And so we have, you know, behavioral interviewing questions um, that we use for, um, you know, different ones for different types of positions. But that's really what I try and get to is, you know, tell me about a project that you worked on that you're really proud of and how, you know, what you did, how you were connected to it. Um, and then the other piece, along with the bias towards action, is some passion for um, lear uh, learning other people, you know, the respect to the respect for people thing that we kind of started the, the interview off with here uh, this afternoon. Yeah. You know, why do they want to work in healthcare? I need to hear some passion behind why they want to be on our team. 
Um, mm -hmm. So passion for healthcare, seniors, passion for learning, bias towards action, those are, um, I guess, they're sort of the summary of the answer. Any particular uh, lessons learned along the way that, that you could share with not only members of the ILC that, uh, that are listening, but uh, others maybe as they're maybe working in, in those areas, those industries that aren't necessarily given over to continuous improvement and, and lean. What, uh, what lessons learned have you picked up along the way? That's a great question. <clears throat> you know, I think for sure one of them, especially in healthcare, we talk a lot about um, how hard it is to get leaders to buy into, to participate and buy into the work that we do. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, commit resources, show up for events, um, recognize that there's more to it than just trying to save money, that their, you know, quality and culture matter just as much as the dollar does. And so we, we uh, I think, especially lean healthcare practitioners complain about that a lot. Mm -hmm. And what the lesson I, I did for a long time, and uh, even when I kind of left, you know, that was the only part of my role. I said, hey, I'm going to go be, a, you know, a leader in a retirement community, and I'm going to be the boss, and I'm going to, um, <laughs> you know, I, I won't have to worry about that because I'll be in charge of it. And um, I think it's a bit... Um, might sound a little harsh, but I'm being harsh on myself. I think that was a bit of a cop-out where I, I tended to kind of throw up my hands and say, I can't do this because the leader is not supporting it. Yes. And, and I, I think that is um, a failure on my part to prove to them how valuable it really is. And so that leads me to the answer, which is, um, we have to be much better at celebrating our success and proving our value beyond mm -hmm. just the dollar. The dollar gets people's attention. Um, we just need to be better at telling our story and celebrating the success, even the little ones, the, the little yeah. things. Yeah. I think, and I, I have seen the same, and I, I, I greatly appreciate you sharing that, that, that story because I have seen as well that so we, we have one ditch or the other. We have you know, leadership gung-ho or leadership not. And sometimes what happens is we have, I have seen it over, over time where the pendulum swings. We, we need to get leadership. We need to get leadership. We need to get leadership. And yeah. that's great. But now um, with, with leadership uh, there, I think sometimes the, uh, the uh, focus got too much on leadership needing to do, leadership needing to do, and then, yep. as you were saying, uh, individuals using it as an excuse for they themselves not to just simply look at their own work area, uh, their own area of, of influence. And uh, so I'm glad to hear you talking about that because it's an indication, too, that things are, I think anyway, things are, are being, the ship's being righted in re with regards to the proper role that leadership does play and um, the role of the individual and the expectation of the individual today themselves be a leader in continuous improvement and uh, sure. that, that customer focus. 
Yep. Yeah, and I don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to um, say it's not important. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. Yep. Um, because I, you know, I pay attention to the stuff my boss asks me about, right? <laughs> so, yeah, I, I get it. Um, but it, that can't be the excuse for not trying, for giving up, for um, just saying this isn't going to work because the leader doesn't support it. Go, go prove it. Go, go yeah. prove it to them. <laughs> there, there you go. Go for it. Hey, as we uh, as we close out this afternoon, I want to ask you. How has membership in the ILC benefited you, the organization, the lean efforts there at, uh, at Western Hall? Yes, um, it, it's been uh, great. I've been part of the ILC since uh, before I came to the Western Home. I think I've been on the board since 2012 or 13, I think. And, you know, one... Uh, one of the things that I love is the tours that we get to do across um, different industries. Mm-hmm. So, uh, like I said before, I started as a Six Sigma black belt. Every project we did was a Demaic project. And then yeah. we quickly quickly switched to more lean-focused activity. And as I was learning about 5S, I, did, I couldn't quite – I mean, it's pretty simple, right? I mean, it, it – uh, it's more than just being OCD. It's uh, it's really keeping your workspace organized so that you um, have the tools and equipment you need to do your work. But I just I was I was having a difficult time translating it into healthcare. And uh, early in my uh, relationship with the ILC, I got to tour uh, Pella Windows, and seeing a manufacturing plant that um, deals with an amazing amount of wood, metal, and glass, and not seeing one shred of any of that stuff on, you know, on the ground or on the floor anywhere and how they you know, reuse everything and repurpose all, um, and seeing the tools that they used and how they implemented them, um, check the 5S checklists and the audits and the posting of those results and making changes based on what you find, I think... That's a concrete example of seeing a concept in action somewhere else and then, okay, this makes more sense on how I can translate it into the laboratory in a hospital by shadowing the equipment. Because if you move this uh, cell washer, then a tube's going to come out of the back and this muck is going to get all over the counter instead of into this trough where it's supposed to go. And so that, mm-hmm. um, just seeing those examples, I think, was a huge help. And of course, all the networking um, is fantastic where you get to collaborate with people across, you know, cross pollination across the different industries and also within healthcare. I love the Lean Healthcare Exchange that we did this year. And then lastly, um, uh, where else would you get to hear people like like Mark Graben, like I already, already mentioned, David Mann, who wrote Creating a Lean Culture. Uh, Richard Sheridan, Paul Akers, Jamie Flinchbaugh, Mike Hoseas, Jim Womack, and John Shook, and you know people that have written a lot of books that I've read, um, and really have a lot of respect for that. Those are the kind of speakers that the ILC is bringing to Iowa. Um, I can't, uh, you know, I just would, I'd have to travel across the country normally to go see people like that speak. 
So uh, those are the three things, you know, the tours, the networking, access to great, you know, kind of lean thinkers and lean leaders across, really across the world. Um, That was a huge part of why I love the ILC. Thank you, Matt, for for spending a little bit of your your afternoon with us today and um, greatly appreciate the... uh, the leadership that you've, you've shown in the short time that I've been involved with the ILC, and, uh, and also, again, your, your willingness to share your experiences both on a personal and a professional level with, uh, again, not only the ILC audience, but, uh, but others that might be, be listening in. My pleasure, Steve. I appreciate being asked, and uh, thanks for the partnership that you have with the ILC. It's making us better. All right, sir. Well, thank you again, everyone, for listening to the ILT Radio Network. And uh, definitely we have uh, more uh, of the same coming up in the weeks ahead. Have some in the hangar already. So uh, thanks again to uh, Matt Garcia, and uh, we will talk with you another time. Thanks so much. Bye now. Thank you for listening, and we hope you've enjoyed our show. For more information, please check us out online at iowalean.org and zstrat.com.